Hey everyone, uh, in this episode, some of the audio is a little bit muffled and echoey. Uh, we tried to edit it out, but with all our episodes, we try and get the most interesting guests possible, and that can often take us to some pretty remote and unique locations to record. So bear with us, and uh, hopefully the quality uh, makes up for any sort of technical difficulty you might hear in some of the sound. Hope you enjoyed the episode. I keep my finger on the fish pond seven. Formative assessment is when you taste the soup as you're making it. I'm just going to start the whole thing over. Welcome everyone to the Culinary Now podcast, a food pod designed to dive deeper into the food topics surrounding our industry. We are your hosts, Jamie Schick and Matthew Britt. And today's episode is really geared towards our fellow chef educators and instructors because today we're talking with Audra McPhillips. Audra is the math specialist for pre-K through 12 at West Warwick Public Schools here in Rhode Island, as well as an adjunct faculty member in the Graduate School for Education here at Johnson Wales University. So we invited Audra to talk with us today because recently Jamie and I took an assessment class with her and we feel she can provide some unique insight into how to get the most out of the assessments being used in the culinary classroom. I know for me, the assessment course that we took was one of the most beneficial and eye-opening courses, um, both as an instructor and as a student. And it was really evident how passionate you were about that topic. So we were hoping that we could start by having you explain sort of what formative assessment really is. Um, awesome. Well, first of all, thanks for having me. Um, I, I I am super passionate, I guess, about the idea of formative assessment. Um, there is there is actually no um, accepted definition of formative assessment. Um, James Popham is my favorite researcher in the area, and he talks about it as being a planned process in which teachers and students sort of use the evidence gathered by assessment to make adjustments in what they're currently doing. Um, So it's just this idea that um, anytime we sort of take a temperature of what students understand or know how to do, that we use that immediately in our classroom or even in our planning between like today and tomorrow to kind of adjust what students are doing. And I think even more importantly, that students are part of that process and they themselves are um, sort of taking in that assessment information and adjusting their own learning tactics or sort of how they approach uh, what they're learning. So you need time for this, right? Yeah, I mean, you need a lot of time for it. And I think that's why it's difficult. Um, I think most people think of assessment as a thing, like a noun, like I give a test and mm-hmm. then I see how kids are doing. Um, but formative assessment isn't really that at all. It's sort of um, this idea that there's time for me to figure out what you need and that I'm nimble enough to adjust on the spot and maybe take my plans for the day and change them if I need to. Um, or... Um, If it's something that, like, in the evening I'm looking over your work and I'm providing you with feedback, um, I need to build time into the next day for you to think about it, um, act on it, and sort of adjust what you're doing in my classroom if you're the student so you can benefit from that. So one of the things I I noticed, and and I struggled with this when I was was in your course, is, and I think I came to you right away with this, is like, so I, I asked, you know, you need time because it is a process of providing feedback and, you know, again, modifying and adapting and changing and, and all those good things. Courses at Johnson Wales are nine days long. In nine days, mm-hmm. it's like it that was it's it's a huge hurdle that I think, you know, input any culinary model. I mean, courses are 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 shorter than they probably 
should be. And because you need to have so much information provided in such a short amount of time, it, it's just it's sort of the cost of doing business. But uh, and to provide students with the most efficient, you know, use of their time, h- how do you really squeeze it in, in in nine days effectively with, you know, I mean, is there any sort of tips or I mean, I, is there a way to do it? Can you do it in nine days? Well, I mean, I definitely agree that nine days is quite a quite a short uh, duration to teach just about anything. But um, I mean, places that you can look to kind of uh, find that time are um, what assessment kind of processes are you engaging in now? Are they um, summative assessments? So summative assessment means you give a test um, where students are like actively engaged in being assessed. So there's no learning happening. They're just taking a test so you can see what they know or what they don't know before you move on. Um, if there's any places like that, you can think about adjusting those so they're not so final and so that students are actually learning while they're being assessed and also um, you're able to take the information from that uh, and adjust accordingly. Um, I think part of it is helping students understand what this assessment cycle looks like, just helping them know uh, that anything they're doing in your class is something that you're kind of um, using that data to adjust what you're doing. They should be using that data to adjust what they're doing. Um, I've actually had other, I actually currently have, (laughs) a culinary student in my class from your program. Mm -hmm. um, And she, um, I think, believes strongly that this should be what goes on, that kids can um, retake quizzes, that they, the idea is that they are learning the information and she finds that this is empowering to students when she does it and that they are like risk takers and love learning what it's going on. And then sort of later on after she sees them again, later on in their program, um, they're less apt to take risks and they're more grade oriented and concerned about that. So I think, um, I think adjusting your course so students know the focus is not on the grades, it's on the learning. Um, and then perhaps thinking about how departmentally you can think about that is valuable because it'll save time if kids are used to, not kids, if students are used to the structure um, and knowing that it's less about the grade, it's less about the final product and more about the learning process in general. That's the important piece. I think what you said there was like so important because as a student last year, that's one of the biggest things that I found when we were in your course is we were talking with one of our other classmates and he had said basically that the whole time that he was in the program and the course the way it is right now you're the second to last course we take and he's like I haven't checked my my grades the whole time I've been in this program for a year and a half and I thought okay that's really interesting because I have except this one course we were in was the first time I wasn't checking my grades constantly. Um, And I think changing the mindset to move away from grades is really, really hard. And I love what you were saying, how you have someone in your program now who's loving the idea of letting them, like empowering students, letting them retake the quizzes. And then when she sees them later on, they've maybe kind of lost that from other instructors. I think it's really difficult when we might not get the chance to see them more than once. And if not everyone understands how this can benefit students, it can be really, really, really tricky. Um, So could you talk a little bit about how we can start to shift away from, start to empower students and shift away from this grade-focused mindset, both as a student, as a learner, and as an instructor? Like, what can we do to, to help with that? 
Yeah, I think your question is kind of a loaded one. Oh, it definitely is. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's, it's fine. Change is really hard for us and for the students, particularly yeah. if they're used to a certain model. So the research says that assessment, typically assessment is done to students, and instead they need to be part of the process. Mm-hmm. So I think that's kind of the first thing is being open and upfront from the get-go that the assessment, the only time I assess you is for you to learn, not for me to like assign a grade. It's it's your part of this process. Um, your input is as valuable as mine and sort of getting them to buy into that culture is really important. Um, I also think we look at the difference between assessment of learning and the assessment for learning. So assessment of learning is just, I see how you did and I let you know. Um, assessment for learning is I see how you did and I figure out how I can change what I'm doing to best benefit you and you figure out how you can change what you're doing to best benefit you and to me that's like a big shift it's something we're not used to Mm -hmm. most students and instructors are used to assessment of learning so just the mindset shift is important Um, it's less about like what tools you decide to use so there certainly are tools you can use like if you use a rubric um, and help, having students self-assess themselves or right. peer assess one another. Super valuable for them realizing it's not about the end grade, but about sort of where I am, where I can go. Um, there's something called a learning progression that you can build so students kind of see, this is where I need to get to, these are all the steps I need to take, and um, my goal as an instructor is to give you feedback along those steps, not grades, I don't care what your grade is. These are all the steps you need to take. Let me help you understand them so that you can get to the end place that I want you to get to. Mm-hmm. If kids kind of, I keep saying kids, I'm sorry. If students, <laughs> I don't think of you guys as my kids. Um, <laughs> if students see this as a journey and like the journey is way more important than the destination, then to me, um, that's the key. And I will say one more thing about this. I actually was just reading an article. I want to say, um, I want to say it was Dweck, but I'm not 100% sure on this. And we talked about, um, they talked about a pilot. And so a pilot is, um, a pilot is traveling somewhere, and if the pilot ignores their GPS and doesn't make sort of all those adjustments that the GPS asks them to make, they kind of, let's say we're trying to go to France, but we land in England. Um, if we don't listen to what students need and we sort of don't make those adjustments we need to make, then we end up somewhere that we maybe didn't intend, and we're kind of like, okay, well, you've got to get off now because we're here, and this maybe isn't where we wanted to get you. So I feel like we do that a lot to kids, um, and formative assessment is about sort of making those little adjustments along the way so we get you where you want to be. Um, so I guess I said a lot to kind of say to kids, <laughs> we need to communicate this to students because it's a big shift, and they need to understand the process just as much as we do. Yeah, I think that's one thing so in our nine days it's really hard and i think one thing at least in the class that i teach the most which is plated desserts on day like six and seven uh, my students are like oh my gosh and look at how far i've come and since i played it on day one day two in just this short amount of time and i'm like yes that's it this is like i'm so glad you noticed the improvement because that's what we're going for small different like steps every single day that you're slowly getting better and it's like makes me so happy when they look back and they're like wow like and then they are giggling about their day one plates because they're like I can't believe we did that and look at how great our plates are looking now and for me that's really that's really been key when they can realize their improvement over over that short amount of time. Now imagine if we had more than nine days to go with it. So. Well, soon enough we will. I know, um, I know. So it's it's funny because like even just when you were mentioning certain tools, you know, and again like in classes when we were with you, 
it's like there were so many tools, even though you, you emphasized that they weren't the, the secret to success, your, your, at least my <laughs> knee-jerk reaction was to implement all of them. I'm like, this is going to change my life. <laughs> and ultimately that fails miserably. But it's funny because, like, you mentioned, like, you know, sort of shifting the paradigm to, like, make students understand that, you know, grades aren't what they should be focusing on. It's more the journey. Um you know, I find when you tell a student that, they almost feel like you're lying. You're like, wait a minute. Like, what's this guy up to? Like, why? You're telling me he's going to do this and that he's not going to evaluate me? I mean, it, it is a mindset, um, not only of our culture, but uh, specifically in the U.S., but, like, it, you know, people care about the grades. And, and as someone who does as well, mm-hmm. I mean, it's almost like you have to tell students, and this is a bad message, but, like, it's almost like it doesn't matter the grade. You know, it really doesn't. It's based on almost a competency. It's like, can you do what needs to get done? Uh, and no, we're a little bit different because we don't have unlimited amount of time to allow students to sort of get there on their own pace. I, I mean, they could, but they just, they kind of have to fall back a little bit and they have to kind of retake and retake, which is not ideal. Um, but how would you address, like, you know, in, in a sort of a hurried up offense type of situation, how do you... A, you know, kind of keep people on track that, you know, might need that more time, but, you know, maybe just based on your environment, and this is not, you know, my environment specific at all. I'm sure there's other people listening that maybe have time restrictions as well. How do you keep them on track knowing that there is a clock? Yeah, I mean, I think the part that you talked about with grades is really important in terms of keeping them on track, because you're right, grades are what we're used to keeping us on track forever. It's sort of a cultural thing that we're very grade-focused. Um, And if we're going to, well, we have lots of reasons to eliminate the grade because we know from like oodles of research that if we put a grade on it, students automatically ignore the feedback. So if I get an F, I ignore your feedback because I've just shut down. I'm stupid. That's my mindset. I'm done. If I get an A, I'm like, I don't need to read that feedback. I got an A. I'm good. Um, So pretty much across the board, kids don't read feedback. Students don't read feedback if there's a grade on it. So eliminating the grade is important if we really want to shift towards this formative assessment cycle because our feedback is the piece. Um, When you look at John Hattie's work, feedback is like 0.7 effect size, which essentially means that if you give strong feedback, you will improve the grades of your students by two grade levels. Like that's astounding research. It's the only kind of assessment research we have that crosses Hattie's hinge point, which means it's something that like Mm -hmm. if we're not doing it, we need to find a way to do it for, for students. Um, we know that grades will dampen that. Um, but I think in, to answer your question, Matt, feedback is the place where you, if you do it well, you can move the student in the way that you need to. So feedback needs to be immediate, it needs to be very specific, and it needs to give the student a, a very targeted direction. So, um, so I need to, if I assign something, I need to make sure that I have time to give really solid feedback, like descriptive feedback, yeah. specifically, what did you do well? Where do you need to go next, whether that's verbal, whether that's written, and that there needs to be, like you said, time's the issue, but time needs to be built into class to act on that feedback because I can't expect you to do that on your own, Um, whether it's feedback from me, feedback from a peer, or even self kind of feedback through self-assessment. So if you're going to get rid of grades, feedback needs to be super effective. And again, you've got to build in time for that, but the research says you'll get a great benefit from that time. That is speaking so, like, so much to me right now like I'm just thinking about the class that I'm currently teaching and I've been really specific to give each student feedback on their plate and I had one student who oh my god I just like exploded she was like all of my feedback you've said to do this so I decided to do this for this plate and I was like 
Oh, I couldn't even. I was I was just beyond myself that she was like, I just looked at all my notes and everything you said was to do this. So I changed that for today. And I was like, it worked. It worked on, on all levels. Like your plate looks great. And she was using my feedback to get better. I was just like. And I, I try and like, I mean, it's, it's, I want to say it's like, it's great when people actually take your feedback, but like, I think the message is also that like sometimes feedback can be direct and, and, and specific and, you know, like this one area needs to improve. But I think that I try personally to keep my feedback broad, which maybe maddens mm. students a little bit because they're like, I don't know exactly what he's, because I don't want to create this environment where you, I get the same dish from 20 different students. And like, whether I like it or not, like as a chef, like I have my own personal preferences and I'm going to instruct whether consciously or sub unconsciously, yeah. you know, my students to create dishes that would work for my, you know, visual, like like appearance or value or, and also from taste. So I try and give students, you know, feedback that's going to make them think a little bit more uh, and, and hopefully give something that's a little bit more personal to them. And then it broadens my you know, understanding as well. And I guess something that like, I didn't realize that I was going to, you know, think would be meeting or exceeding the expectation. But all of a sudden, because I gave them a little bit of free range, they're able to do it. I think that that's really important, especially when we're talking in, in this culinary like universe, because a lot of times everything we do, whether it's plating or flavor, is very subjective. It's very subjective to the chef, to the clientele. It's very personal, especially when we talk about like, plating which is my like one of my specialties and favorite things in the world but it's very artistic and it's very hard to give like specific feedback on something that's artistic because they could have done it really well it's just a different style right. so i think that subjectivity becomes really a really interesting piece when we're in this in this culinary world when we're trying to then give feedback for improvement that needs to be slightly broad but then it's also tailored to how we we personally, as a chef, as an artist, think of things, and I think that brings up a really, a really interesting side of this. Um, this is actually kind of cool that you guys are bringing this up because, of course, we're doing this podcast right before my class tonight, and we are looking at Hattie and temp temporally work around the different kinds of feedback. And you know, as I'm preparing for class tonight, um, there's three kinds of feedback that you give to students. There's task-like oriented feedback. There's process-oriented feedback and there's self-regulation-oriented feedback. And obviously, all students need a, like a bit of all three, but um, you know, task feedback tends to be very specific. Like you're doing something that, and of course, you know, I'm not a culinary expert, but you're doing something that like is is not right. Like you can't do this, right? right. Like it's a very simple, like this is not something mm -hmm. you do. And Maybe so something task, related directly to like a food safety concern. Something that food could potentially is a great example. Something <laughs> that could potentially yeah. injure, harm a customer. Task right, right. feedback is super easy to get. Like you are you're right on track with your food safety and here's why, or you really can't do this. Yeah. And, and here's all the reasons why you can't do that. Easy. Um, process feedback is a little more difficult to give because the process can vary. Like, you know, the end results, sort of what you want to get them to, but there's lots of ways to get there. And so for sure, you have to get good and practice process feedback. So it's not too specific. It doesn't lean towards exactly what you want, but it gets them to the end goal and gets them to think, Matt, like that's the idea that the, the feedback gets them to think is important. You're not saying do this next. You're saying consider this. And what do you want to do next based on that? Oftentimes process feedback is like a question. Like, I notice you're struggling with this. So what is, like, how can we get there? Like, what are you thinking in terms of how you can get there? I want you to really explore that. Um, and then there's sort of that high level um, self-regulation feedback, which is really, um, 
and I struggle with this even when I'm um, trying to give this across the board, and even here in the assessment course at Johnson and Wales, trying to get you to think about how can you, how can you on your own without me asking this question, sort of develop that in yourself to kind of like self-assess and always ask yourself when you get to this point, like these are the questions you should be asking yourself. Sort of really guide you to think about yourself as a learner. Um, and 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 just kind of build that um, ability for you to adjust your own learning tactics without someone else asking you to. I feel like that's like the epitome of feedback. Not everyone's ready for that all the time, but I do feel like I strive to balance the three. Like no matter where you are in your learning progression, you always need some task feedback. You all always need some process feedback. And to some extent, self-regulatory feedback you all need. And some people are really ready for that all the time. Some people I'm giving that to all the time because that's where they are. So I think kind of knowing those buckets and knowing that some are harder than others is important for you just when you're trying to plan out the kind of feedback you give. Um, I also think, to be honest with you, we're talking about saving time. Um, you teach a course over and over again, and I do this. This may make you feel bad. I definitely keep this running Google Doc and list of feedback that I give because that feedback comes up often mm. and it's often the same kind of feedback not that I like cut and paste it because I don't but I literally might cut and paste it and then read it and sort of personalize it for you because at the end of the day it, you know when we're we're like novices or we're all when we're learning something we all tend to make the same yes. missteps or we all need to tend to make the same need the same guidance in some way shape or form so Talking about saving time, that is a big time time saver for me. I could show it to you. You'd feel that I'm no, no. I know. I, I, I do know that's. It's like the, it's a kind of a shady tip, but it's also like super legit because, like, I think what yeah. people don't realize is like everyone, you ask any person whether they teach in culinary or not, they want to be a better teacher. Like, it's gonna make their life easier. It's gonna make students better. Mm -hmm. But when they realize the amount of work or time that goes into providing feedback. Like, I'll give you a good example. Like, I, like, when I provide feedback to my students, I provide each student with multiple emails throughout the course, whether it's daily production or, you know, practical, uh, you know, they'll submit an idea for a practical. Like, I'm talking like a page feedback. Like, I spent, like, hours. And I, I kind of picked that up, not specifically from you but for, from you because like i would like submit you like one question and you would give me like three paragraphs now that i know that those are all copy and pasted i, would go, like, <laughs> you know, I, I feel like i feel a little it's bit not exactly <laughs> i feel like slight, no but i think that that's important because you know certain feedback is applicable to being like sort of generic and but then again like catering it to the individual situation and being able to tie that in is important but i do think it's something that people don't realize that you know traditional a lot of work goes in to before students even get into the classroom. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of quiz writing, curriculum writing, lesson plans, which I, I, I have no, I can't tell you enough how many people give me lesson plans that I'm like, why am I even reading this? Because it's me, it's not them, and, it, and, and whatever. But I, I think that when you start shifting to a new style, more formative, you, you still have to put in the work at the beginning, but then you're actually adding way more work throughout the course, which I think... Maybe it's a little off-putting to some people. I don't know. Maybe I'm speaking a little too broad, boldly here. I mean, I don't know. I just think it, it can it can tire people out, or it can. It can well, I think as like Audra's been saying, is there's multiple ways to give feedback. Yeah. It doesn't always have to be through email. And for me in my class, it's pers it's personal one-on-one yeah. -on -one verbal right after their play is right there. I'm like, okay, this was good. Work on this. 
this is next type of thing. It's yeah. just quick. And I tell them it's re- literally like the the nickel version because I have 20 students and I need to get to everyone in a short amount of time. So I don't sugarcoat it. I'm just like one, two, three. All right, next. And um, a lot of times I'll be like, all right, if you want feedback on your plate, you know, st- stick around or come to me or whatever. I'll circle the room. And it's so funny the different dynamics in a class. The class I have now, they're all like, Whoop! they're all right here, ready with their plates, lined up. They want my feedback. And then sometimes it's like, all right, can I t- can I give you some my feedback? And they're like, no, thanks. I'm like, mm, I didn't know this was an option. No, but, but that's actually, again, it's a really smart thing because maybe are you writing personalized messages for 20 students, 15 of which aren't going to read them? Right, exactly. exactly. At least so, in the moment you have them. And, and right. I mean, I, different strokes for different folks, I guess. I mean, it's just there's a lot out there. I just want to, you know, make sure that people understand that this is going to be a commitment. Like when you talk about changing your practice, I mean, like. I think planning for it and having the time for it is really, really important. And I and I think that does, I mean, we're currently writing curriculum to switch our whole delivery model. And it's important to think about that as we're writing it, to have time to to do these different types of assessments yeah. and, and or give feedbacks, that's what we're talking about right now, and plan for that and allow the students to then u- utilize that feedback that we're giving them. Yeah, and I don't want you to forget about like being able to harness technology a little bit. So if you remember in our class, we used Flipgrid, or some people use Flipgrid. Oh, um, yes. Flipgrid, yep. it's interesting. Um, since last year, I've been using Flipgrid for a lot of different things. And one thing that I've been using it for, granted, I, I work with in math, but um, students will pick you know, one problem that they struggled with and sort of like overcame their struggle. And they'll take a picture of it, and their Flipgrid is literally them sort of self-assessing, like, this is where I struggled, awesome. this is sort of where I overcame it, and then instead of, like, Matt, you saying writing a one-page paperback, which I do, I mean, I give lots of written feedback, but I just pop onto Flipgrid and say, okay, so here's what I'm seeing, and I can give my feedback in that way in, like, a 45-second version, probably saying as much as I would have said in one page, um, you know, yeah. quick Flipgrid back, so, like, don't forget about technology, because that can be a useful tool for your students, I, and if you have I them... forget about that. It's so amazing you said that, though, because, like, a course, a first-year student course, freshman course that I teach, has a reflection tied to the final exam. And, you know, it's, the reflection was great. It kind of helped students summarize what they learned using specific examples. You know, you could picture the way it's worded already. But it was like 250 words. And, like, the first 10 words were in this class I learned. And it was the same generic feedback. So we, we actually use Flipgrid in that class. Thanks to you. <laughs> and it's amazing. People are always like, wait a minute. Like, I have to record. And uh, people also get to see it. I'm like, yeah, but you're all part of your own cohort. And you should be, like, feeding. And it's amazing. Everyone views each other's stuff. And the feedback and the and, 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 and the responses are so positive. I had a student recently. She's like, you know, I have no problem speaking on film. But I, I want to do something a little more artistic. Can I do, you know, sort of like cue cards and just flip them with some music? And I'm like, please. And it was unbelievable and like once people get over that little nervousness like they, they really embrace it because they do realize even from a student like i'm like you can script this if you want or you can just speak from the heart and it's a pretty easy 10 points on your final just tell me what you took away from this class and how it relates to your you know major and has this class influenced you one way or the other and students are like well, that was pretty easy and i'm like duh like you know it's it learning's supposed to be like reflective and fun and I think that. I think it's funny that you know we always talk about this generation that we have 
for as students being really like into technology but I have offered that in some of my classes and it's funny I'll only get one or two takers that they would almost just prefer to type out the the paper like they get nervous doing it and granted I was nervous the first few times that that we did it with you but then I was like oh my gosh the stress of not having to write a paper and have bullet notes of what I wanted to say was like I think they're nervous though because they they are trained to be able to pump out and again, papers? this is a generalization. Yeah. So yeah. They're able to pump out meaningless papers, mm-hmm. like that are full of fluff. Like I'm the king of fluff in papers. <laughs> like I mean, like, as Denise Demogist, I, I I wrote pages and like weird references, but like I don't know. I'd rather have a five minute like video from you telling me what you learned and maybe having some personal connections. In 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 what you get is 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 really fantastic. Yeah, and it is personal. I mean, there's also just something special about, like, I see you sitting in your house by your Christmas tree. Or, you know what I mean? Like, it's like that personal connection that's sometimes missing. And it's also hard to kind of BS in a video. I know that sounds crazy. But no, it is. you can write a paper for days, right? We've, we've all done it. But, like, when you have to sit down in five minutes and really kind of capture what you want to say, there's some learning involved in that process. So I have to say, while I was listening to you, you know, I talked about assessment of learning. That's just like quizzes, tests, what we're used to. It's fine. You need it at some point in your course, but it's not, we know there's like zero research that says students benefit from that at all. There's assessment for learning, which is like happening right in the moment and you're adjusting your teaching and students are adjusting what they're doing. But then there's assessment as learning where like students are being assessed and assessing themselves, but they're also learning at the same time. And, And to me, that's like the epitome. That's really where you want to get and when you have students sit down in front of a flip grid and reflect they're mm-hmm. learning while they're doing it yeah you're learning while they're doing it and like that's the ultimate goal. i also love like peer evaluation as an assessment as a learning tool as mm-hmm. well because i think whether it's you know I, I look at some other classes like you know students that fabricate fish having another student literally stand over them and watch them and provide like kind of coaching like hey like they get enough of me like chirping like all the time, like, and that's not what it really sounds like, but like, I sometimes breaking up the person giving you the instruction yep. makes a huge difference. Least, and when it's your peer, like, it's just exactly. so much easier to take mm-hmm. that sometimes. So. And hearing it in a different voice, in a different, Correct. like, speaking the same language, um, like, student to student is definitely, definitely more effective. So, um, I do want to ask though if there are. Or do you have any other resources if anyone wanted to find more information about assessment, how they can include it into their classrooms? I know you mentioned um, Popham and Hattie. Is there any other places you might direct them? Yeah, I mean, Popham, James Popham's book, Transformative Assessment, to me, is like the best resource period for anyone just because it's research, but it's easy to read. And it's practical, and it's like turn around and do it in your classroom right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's the Black and Willem research, which is like the seminal research, but it's tough to read, and you can, you know, glean that from other pieces. <laughs> although I did make both of you read it, um, so to, to me, I think those are. Um, Thank God for audiobooks. Yes, yeah, there you go. So um, I think Click the pop of stuff is, is the key. Again, I would just I would caution sort of. You get excited about this idea of formative assessment and you start to like Google formative assessment mm-hmm. and oftentimes formative assessment is it's a real big buzzword in education right now. Yeah. So it's it's treated as a noun. It's like, oh, here's a book of formative assessments. Well, formative assessments aren't even things. They're a process you do in your classroom. So there's certainly lots of tools out there um, that you can use. Again, if you keep in mind the definition that it's a planned process that allows you to adjust for students, um, then just be a good consumer, sort of, of mm-hmm. what you see out there for formative assessment, because as long as 
you can use the tool to do that. It's a good tool. It's often personal. It often fits with your, you know, your um, area that you teach. I feel like you guys are in a great sort of special space in culinary because it really just lends itself to formative assessment. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, in some of the main research, this quote always pops up around formative assessment is when you taste the soup as you're making it. And summative assessment is sort of when you serve the soup, right? So I feel like your content just lends itself to this idea of formative assessment. It's like the perfect place to do it. Um, And if students students self-select your course, like this is what they want to do Mm -hmm. in their life, right? And so if they embrace this process sort of for themselves, it'll just make them a better chef or a better pastry. Mm -hmm. Um, It'll just make them better at at the the path they've chosen for. I love it. I love it. So in the interest of, you know, getting you to your class, I know we have to wrap up. I do uh, think it was like super just interesting talking about potentially importing new practice into your classroom. I think there's a lot of people out there, as I mentioned earlier, that want to change what they're doing, uh, but maybe just don't know how. So, you know, hopefully this provided some insight into um, potentially furthering, you know, your skills as a teacher and if you um, you know are interested in uh, ever coming back we'd love to have you for sure because I think this is a great opportunity to share some pretty valuable information in a very short amount of time but to make big impact in, in people's lives and it was actually it was a good refresher for me just to like think about it a little bit more especially in this in this time where we are talking a lot about curriculum and just kind of refresh all of all of that into my memory but we can't let you go before we ask you one of our fun questions, so my question for you, you is... Say, you say our final questions. Again, I've never heard the question before Jamie asked. <laughs> so it's, it's fun for everybody. It okay, is. So, Audra, I do know that you do love music. So my question is, what is the last concert that you attended? Oh, well, just on um, this past weekend, I went to see a band called N-Train in Fall River at the Narrows. Uh, my husband and I haven't seen that band in 20 years, but they have a great horn section, and we had a lot of fun. So uh, so thanks for asking. Oh, awesome. I love music more than I love formative assessment. That's <laughs> <laughs> fantastic. That's awesome. What about you, Matt? You've been to a concert lately? Oh, my God. I actually asked very briefly, and this might have been after a glass of wine, but I was asked, Aaron, like, for my birthday, I'm like, I think I want to go see the Gin Blossoms. And Aaron's like, do you want me to go with you? Like, I'm like, I don't know. I'm like a sucker I for mean, like 90s alt rock. Was it the last one, Taylor Swift, that you went to? It might have been, actually. That I mean, was, I was there too, but. That was, that was a, a Christmas present for my wife and now daughter. Um, so my daughter, whether she knows it or not, in the womb saw Taylor Swift. And we were in the nosebleeds with people that were not nearly close to our age. But it was actually, I mean, it was a great show. It was a great show. I, 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 I'm not going to lie. I'm big Swifty. Big Swifty. And I've heard she puts on quite a, quite a performance. Yeah. She's, a, she's, a great, she's a great she's a great performer. I heard she's a great performer. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Jamie, I know hmm. your most recent one. And this actually, I, I mean, if there was ever, which I don't think there was embarrassment for mine, but if there ever was embarrassment for mine, you're going to completely help me out here. What was, um, what was the last concert you saw, Jamie? Um, it was Hanson. No, no, but like, like locally, right? Oh yeah, it was at the House of Blues of Boston. Yeah, I thought it was in Miami. No, I thought you went to. Oh no, I did go to Buffalo. Um, yeah, I did go to Buffalo to see them over the summer. Interesting. Not that I'm tracking your concert tra- uh, path, but no, I haven't been to Miami. Oh. I've actually never. I've only been to the airport. It was there. the House of Blues. All it right. was the House of Blues either in way, Boston. Either way, 
Hanson. Well, Jamie, I will say my next concert coming up, my 14-year-old daughter for Christmas um, mm-hmm. received tickets to Harvey, H-R-V-Y. So um, that's her kind of music, and I will be accompanying her. I have her no idea friends. who so, that is. Um, so in terms of, like, teen pop kind of rock, <laughs> I will be attending. That will be my next concert. So I'm, uh, I, I don't know if I'm looking forward to it, but it will be an interesting experience. <laughs> All right, so last question, because we're on the music thing, and I was talking with my brother-in-law last night about this. Best place to see a show. That you've been, or no, you know, like best place for you've been, and what's on the list? Like, well, Red Rocks is on the list for sure. I've never seen a show at Red Rocks, but I've always wanted to. Yeah, yeah. Um, See anything there? That's what I hear, right? It would just be worth going, no matter who's. Yeah, totally beautiful. Yeah. Um, Best place to see a show. Any fish festival where like 50,000 people come into one place, wherever that location is, it's just always like the best awesome. an amazing yeah. mash you live there for four days like and just do your thing with people who love what you love. Yeah, cool. That's, oh, that's, that's awesome. Nice Audrey, you're the best. You're the best. All right. Yeah, so, thank you. We want to thank you so much for coming in and chatting with us and sharing your knowledge on assessment in general. And we think that you brought some really valuable some really valuable uh, insight for everyone. All right, and can I, I just want to, if it's still recording, I yeah, just yeah. want to thank you guys. The fact that you thought that my course was worth making a podcast about made my whole, like, year. So thank you guys for Oh, my gosh. Best episode ever. I know. All right, guys, we'll talk to you later. As always, we want to give a quick shout out to Matt Burns for all of our music on the podcast, as well as Casey Quinn for all of our technology and logistical and setup situation that we have going on, and to all of you for listening and supporting us. And we want to remind you to reach out uh, to our email with any questions that you'd like to hear us talk about on the show. Uh, A couple ways you can get in touch with us, as always, email podcast at jwu.edu. Or like us on Instagram and send us a message message that way, and we'll uh, we'll get back to you. All right. Thanks so much for listening. Hello.